Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Fried the Burnout Podcast. Hello, Fried fam. Today we get to talk to a friend of mine, someone I laugh with very frequently, someone whose irreverent humor always keeps me on edge. And his name is Owen Fitzpatrick. He's a CSP, which is a certified speaking professional, and he's one of the world's leading authorities in how to shape behavior through belief. A psychologist and speaker, Owen has worked with organizations like Coca-Cola, Google, JP Morgan, LinkedIn, Pfizer, and Salesforce. So, you know, just a couple of the small names. He has coached billionaires and Olympic athletes and spoken to audiences in 31 countries, sharing the stage with Sir Richard Branson and Seth Godin. I don't even know how I know this person, but I'm going to keep going. Owen's online videos have been viewed by more than 2 million people. His nine books were translated into 21 languages. An award-winning screenwriter and actor, Owen hosts the Changing Minds podcast, which you have to listen to. It's so fabulous. And is the developer of belief leadership. How do we, I don't even know what to say after that. I'm just not used to hearing you say so many nice things about me in a row, Kate. So I'm just Yeah, I wouldn't on purpose. It's yeah, just yeah. It's I know. what you sent me. So I really didn't have a choice. <laughs> well, thank you anyway. Great to be here. I'm a big fan of yours. I obviously have you on my podcast, Changing Minds, coming up as well. And it was a phenomenal episode. I really, I thought you brought incredible insight. So I'm delighted to return the favor. I can't wait. And today, guys, we're going to be doing a, something a little bit different because Owen doesn't have a burnout story like hashtag lucky you. And we're going to dive right into beliefs and language and good questions to ask yourself and how to really unwind some of the stuff that's happening in your brain while you're burning out, the thought patterns, etc. So just to interrupt there, Kate. Yeah, of course. I have it's not a case that I don't have a burnout story. I've got too many burnout stories that there's no way to choose, right? So I'm like, I'm burning out constantly. Therefore, I'm like <laughs> overwhelmed. I was burned out with trying to figure the right If you were going to give an overarching theme. It's just constant. I'm constantly learning, constantly studying, constantly driven to do that. So I think I don't always know when to stop in that way. And, and I... I even organize my, like, for example, I give myself sometimes, and, and I'm a lot better now than I was before, but I give myself, re like, the rewards I give myself is the kind of work I love to reward myself for the kind of work I don't love. So it's, right. it's kind of that thing. But honestly, I actually I also, know a really good burnout coach. Okay, great. Just in All case right. you ever really Just feel like you're stuck. Email me her details and I'll, I'll get back to her or right. him or them. I right. You shouldn't make that assumption. So one of the things that I didn't tell you that I wanted to talk about today because I forgot, and I think we need to start with, so I'm going to really just like throw you right into it, sure. is this idea that we lose a lot of cognitive function with burnout, and it's really hard for people to recapture. And it's something that people bring up a lot in the Facebook group, on the podcast, and in DMs. People are saying, well, you know, my executive function is down. I can't seem to get it back. I'm not remembering things. I'm not 
This is a little bit separate. This is about function of the brain rather than belief. But it's. I also think that it's connected. And one of the things I'm a af- one of the things I'm afraid of with the podcast, my podcast, is that I don't want people to stay burnout because we're making it quote unquote acceptable. It is acceptable because it's just part of life. And also there are ways out of it and you don't have to be stuck here. So if there are people out there that are saying, my brain's not working, I can't focus to read, I I can't make decisions, I can't task initiate, my executive functioning is shot, is there a particular way of approaching that that you think would be the easiest way? I'm glad we're we're starting with the easy questions. Yeah, I don't, you know me, I like to keep it simple. You know, the slow balls. From my perspective, and again, I suppose just to address what you said, I think that's a, it's a very fair notion that a lot of people out there, when they think about being burned out, one of the things that they think about is they think, I'm in a situation where my brain is working in this way. And then what they do is they go after the cause. And I have a principle I like to talk about called the causes and effect principle. And it's this idea that what we like to do is we like to go, what's happening and what's the cause of it? So we look for the singular cause for everything. The reason I have this is because of my trauma, not because of the number one, the traumatic experiences I've had or the way in which I reflected on those traumatic experiences afterwards, but because of this one singular trauma. And it's easy for us to do. But actually, in most cases, it's not very accurate. The reasons why we have the problems we have is because of a multitude of factors. It's the trauma. It's the way we've talked about the trauma to others. It's the way we remember the trauma. It's the emotions that we feel in relation to that. It's the beliefs that were cultivated from that traumatic experience. So all of these things create this sort of web in our mind whereby we build it. And we call this, or I call this, the stories we tell ourselves about what's happened rather than what's actually happened. And we also have stories we tell ourselves about burnout. And the stories that we tell, a great part of your podcast, Kate, is you don't just help people to be able to define what they're experiencing, to own up or accept what they're going through, and to be able to find stories that they can tell and experience and hear so they can feel connected. You also provide them with tools and ideas and suggestions and strategies to help them to be able to deal with it and cope with it. So that's why I think from that perspective, the podcast is, you know, extremely net positive. As you pointed out, the challenge is, is that when we live in a world where we look for the fact that, oh, my brain's broken, that's a story we're telling ourselves. And I'm not saying that our executive function or the PFC is not affected, the prefrontal cortex is not affected by you know, traumatic experiences or burnout or severe stress over a long period of time. But I'm saying that our belief and this strong belief that we can have, which is based in this story that says my executive function is not working, is a very overly simplified and really inaccurate way of describing what's happening for us. But because it feels true and because it sits as a nice sort of like singular problem that we have, it's easier for us to tell it. And the problem with it is, it also makes us feel better. If I can Mm. say that the reason I'm not able to do the kinds of things you want me to do is because I'm burned out, therefore my brain is not working effectively, that becomes something that makes me feel good because now I don't have to feel guilty or feel bad about the fact that I'm not doing anything about it. Now we have to balance this because I'm also not saying, you know, 
you should do this and everyone has the ability to do it. And I'm not also judging people the same if they've gone through traumatic experiences or if they've really burned themselves out and treating them as if they have the capability and willpower to just get back up. But I'm saying that what we need to do is recognize these are stories we tell ourselves. So typically when I talk to people, there's two primary stories that people tell. This is when I was back as a therapist. People will come in to me and I'd say either the reason of my problem is because the world, right? Because of this, because of that, because of the other, because my partners. Or the workplace. Or the workplace or my boss or the recession or the president or whatever. Or it would be my brain, right? Or my genetics or my parents. There's all of these reasons. And I'm not saying that they not they might even be accurate. Maybe the reason yeah. why you are experiencing most of your stress is because you've got the boss from hell. Yeah. Problem is, as long as we stay in that victim mindset, that's what it is. It's a victim mindset. It means that we're giving away any control. It's like this notion of being triggered. I'm triggered and we might be triggered. Like I, I don't have an issue with people describing that we were triggered. It's not accurate in, in the sense that we cultivate and construct our own emotions based upon what's going on. But it intuitively, it's a fair enough description to say we're triggered. The problem is when we use that as a metaphor, it means that you have to be careful, Kate, of what you say in case I feel triggered. And while that's a good thing when it comes to social justice, yeah. being you know being respectful to people from all different walks of life, reducing yeah. the likelihood of stereotyping and prejudice and discrimination and you know all that, while that's a good thing, it's not so good when people can start to be triggered about anything and everything. And when we start to look at the reason for all our problems are you know outside of us, that's problematic. Now other people see themselves as villains. So I'm my own worst enemy. I'm ruined. What's wrong with me? I'm a mess. And that's equally problematic. But in both cases, they're telling a story which makes it very difficult for them to make the changes they need. So what I say when I hear someone to say, my brain is broken, I say, well, look, in order for you to be able to do the kinds of things that you need to do, it, it may well be harder for you than others. So it's like with ADD. With ADD, it doesn't mean that you're for now on, destined to never have any focus. People with ADD have some of the best focus. They're the best. When it's athlete. something they love, yeah. Exactly. And so it's harder. And even if you go from a neuroscience perspective, the receptors have a different response to dopamine yeah. with people who have ADD or ADHD versus people who don't. Right. At the same time, even when I'm working with them, I'm like, look, it might be harder for you to do what I'm about to suggest or to get the results we're looking for than it might be for someone else. But you still need to do it and you still need yeah. to practice it. I think that's the way I like to approach it because I'm not dismissing the fact that it might be harder for you, but this binary perspective, either my brain is broken or it's not, my executive function is shot so I can't do anything. Well, kind of if you look at it from a neuroscience point of view, it's wrong. And it doesn't mean that it's not struggling as a result or it's not harder, but you can make a change. I want you to have a a picture of how we normally talk about it so that we can create, because what we're getting into here is a huge level of nuance that can feel dangerous to some people. And I want to be sure that we are in this space where like, when I first started the podcast, telling people, listen, your brain is offline was critically important to me because I believe that if you can take away that guilt like, oh, it's my fault, or that shame that's associated with, I can't do this, I'm not good enough. If you understand that there's a physiological underpinning, 
then you can take some of the weight off your current situation does not eliminate the need for you to be responsible to improve and to do something to get out of it. But there's this is where, and this is exactly that that same space where I said I have discomfort in the beginning. I know that this podcast is helpful for people or else it wouldn't be where it is. It wouldn't be reaching as many people. And I would love for my legacy to be one of showing people constantly that no matter the situation, you can move through this. But in order to move through, we have to accept where we are. And this idea of victim and villain, I think, especially in the burnout space, is a little bit tricky because most of us believe both of those things. Most of us are playing the victim and the villain at the same time. And like you said, sometimes it is true. Sometimes you are the victim and sometimes you are the villain. And sometimes it's just a result of scenarios that you were not consciously contributing to. It was just happening. But there's a, a really common denominator of this idea of like, everything's my fault. If I could just fix myself, then I could deal with this like narcissistic boss. If I would, was just better and I could not take things so personally, if I was less sensitive, if I was different, then this could be improved. And at the same time, if this person could treat me with more respect, this, you know, so where we are playing victim and villain at the same time. So if you find yourself in this place where you're stuck in this mode of like sometimes being the victim, sometimes being the villain and not feeling empowered by either of them, where do you go? So, so with that in mind, uh, one of the reasons why I believe your podcast is leading towards the legacy you want is because on the one hand, you're telling people, okay, look, your, your brain is offline and you need to get it back on. And what that does is it helps people to move from a villain to a victim in that situation. Yeah. And that's, that's actually in that context, it's not a bad thing because instead of beating themselves up about not being enough or not being good enough, now they're going, well, it's not my fault. Right. And that's a good thing for people to hear. But the reason why, like if, if that's where your podcast ended and if every single time you just had people yeah. on it, you thought, you know, being burnt out is horrible, it's awful and, you know, it's <laughs> back to brain and we're stuck and, you know, best of luck. And if that was every episode that you have, yeah. then I'd say, Kate, what are you doing? Right. But you don't do that. And you provide the insights, the strategies, you, you share perspectives, which time and time again, help people to be able to not just make sense of where they are, but take steps towards where they need to get to. So from my point of view, when we talk about the villain, the victim, we all go through that experience in our own way, but the key is to move towards the hero. So even if you take something like AA, yeah. and AA helps a lot of people, right? It doesn't yeah. help everyone. Some people have different issues with it, but AA helps a lot of people. If we ask ourselves, how does it help a lot of people? Well, in the first place, what they do is they, they, they lean into the victim and villain. They say, yeah. I am an alcoholic. They victimize themselves or villainize themselves in that way. I am an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. But they also say that drink is dangerous in, in the sense they don't say those exact words, but it's right. like, you need to be careful, tell people you're an alcoholic and stay away from temptation and always remember and go to the group and get, and get this social you know, support yeah. that you need in that context. The point is you're a victim and a villain. Mm. However, those are the actions that they're all in the service of you being a hero. In other words, by you doing that, the, the aim is that it allows you to be free from alcohol. And right. so by you accepting that your brain is offline, 
right? It's that this is a condition in terms of the way in which I think. Therefore, because I can accept this, I now know what I need to do. Right. And to me, that's how we do this, is we look at the, the victim and the villain and we go, okay, we need to recognize that this is something that's going on so that now we know this is the starting point that we're at. So we don't have to feel like, what am I doing wrong? I should be like everyone else and comparing ourselves to everyone else's have it figured out. Whereas we're like struggling and we're wondering, you know, why am I struggling and they have it so easy? And this brings me back to one other point. And this is the nuance that I know that you also cover, which is this notion of identity. Mm. My area of focus, as you know, Kate, is belief. Yeah. And part of beliefs are things like mindsets and part of beliefs is your worldview. Yeah. A big part of mindset or a big part of belief rather is the identity, the beliefs yeah. I have about myself. And so I have certain beliefs about me. And whenever we label ourselves as you know, this type of person or that type of person. That's an example of us limiting ourselves in that particular identity. So the way I try to work with people when I help them move from either a victim or a villain towards the hero is get them to realize there is nothing wrong with you. Mm. Might be stuff that you're doing unconsciously or consciously. You might have a harder time than others. Your metabolism might be different to others. So it might be harder for you to lose weight. That doesn't mean that the person should feel bad right. about whatever they weigh, right? Or the fact that yeah. they're overweight. They shouldn't feel bad about that. But what they should feel is whatever they need to, to motivate them to take the action that will make them healthier. So if they want to be healthier or they want to be fitter, or they want to be slimmer, recognizing it might be harder for you and then figuring out what you need to do, but not falling into this trap of I'm this person and then attacking yourself because you fall into this identity. And so the same is in terms of burnout is that one part is that you can give people the identity of being the kind of person that has experienced burnout, but also giving them the identity that they can have support by being around other people, by listening in and hearing other people's stories, and then having specific techniques or strategies or ideas or new ways of thinking like the one I love, which we talked about before, resentment is a superpower. That notion that you came up with, that notion and idea is transformational for people because it gets them to believe, as I call believe better. It gets them to see things differently. And that is in turn exactly what they need to, for them to transform the way in which they behave and become the hero that they need to be. Is this making sense? Yeah. So I want to clarify for people that if you're in a space where you are acting out as the villain of your story, you're probably being pretty self-negative. You're saying, this is your fault. This is your problem. Why do you always do this? What's wrong with you? Why can't you hack it? Et cetera, right? So you're saying you're self-harming with words, <clears throat> basically. And if you are acting as the victim, it's why does this happen to me? Why doesn't anybody support me? Why can't I get the things I need? What's wrong with this situation? What's happening on the outside, not what's happening on the inside? And if you're stuck in either of those two places, the shift is to entering what you're calling being the hero of your own story. Now we're getting into Joseph Campbell's style storytelling, right? So you become the hero of your own story. What is the language that matches with the hero? We just sort of recapped like the villain and the victim. What's the language of the hero? The language of the hero is based upon two concepts. And that mm -hmm. one is what you can do, how you influence what's going on, right? So you see yourself as a beacon of influence. You see yourself as not fully having control, 
but having influence over what you're doing. So it's mm. questions that you would ask yourself is what can I do? What is possible for me? What is the solution here? What is a solution here? What resources do I need? It's pretty much, you know, coaching 101. When you go to a great coach, their job is to help you identify what you want, what's stopping you. And then most importantly, what can you do? What resources are available to you? What are the steps you need to take? And they're asking you those questions, but they're priming you to start to think like a hero in that way. And that helps you move from, let's say, a victim to a hero because a mm -hmm. victim feels like, I can't do anything. The world is impacting me. Remember, all heroes are also victims. Yeah. All heroes are victims because they're facing adversity. And the difference between a victim and a hero is the victim complains about the adversity and resigns themselves to it. They experience, the way I like to put it is the difference, and I heard this on a movie once, the difference between suffering and struggling. Suffering mm -hmm. is when you just allow the adversity to affect you. Struggling is when you're actively doing whatever you can about it, and that's the hero. Yeah. And then there's the also the language around the moving from a villain to a hero is around choice, making a different choice, accepting mm. what you're doing and making a new choice in terms of what you need to do, realizing that you have a phenomenal ability to transform the way in which you're working. And that means speaking more positively to yourself, not attacking yourself for who you are, but you can also acknowledge the the limitations of your behavior. In other words, you complain about your own behavior. You acknowledge the weakness of your own behavior. You don't pretend that you're perfect, but you go, look, I've been doing this and I'm not doing as much as I can and I'm letting myself off the hook. And that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. And it doesn't mean that, in fact, I know I'm capable of so much more and I believe in my own ability to do this. And so you're positively affirming how great your identity is while acknowledging the fact that currently your identity your great, amazing identity of all the potential you have is not lining up with your behavior. And that requires you to put in more effort because I, I think this notion of just making everyone feel good and feel safe and feel happy about their behavior all the time is great in many ways because I think there's a lot of people that beat themselves up too much. But you don't want to go the opposite end where you're saying, you know, you don't have to do anything. Everything is fine. Here's, here's a reward for, you know, yourself. You don't have to put in any effort. In order to achieve things, you have to put in effort. And when you're struggling with adversity, the bigger the adversity, the more effort you have to put in. And that requires yeah. you sometimes have to challenge yourself. So I want people challenging themselves to choose to be the hero as opposed to the villain and to focus on what they can influence or control. So the way they talk themselves in a nutshell is they start to focus on what they can do, what choices they can make, they start to see that they're the protagonist. And like every protagonist in every movie we've ever seen and every story we've ever read, the protagonist gets to make the decisions along the way. And there's lots of monsters, but the hero... And there's support, right? There's always a guide that comes along. There's monsters, there's guides. There's Obi-Wan Kenobi. For every, right. for every Luke Skywalker, there's an Obi-Wan, there's a Yoda. He had like loads of guides, Yeah, you know? So we need to recognize that we look for those people to help us. I think it's important to reiterate that it's okay to move between villain and victim, and it's okay to use one of those platforms to move towards the hero space. What I'm hearing is that there's not a lot of judgment about being in either of those places. They just are what they are. It's human nature. I mean, we all do it. I know. <laughs> Look, I feel sorry for myself every now and then. I go into the <laughs> poor me syndrome, I call it. And I'm yeah. like, oh, good, it's tough. And I go into the, you know, I play the martyr and it's all like this. 
I'm, I've become more aware that I do it. So I do it a lot less than I used to. Yeah, but it was but awful. It I would be, you know, I had that thing, the passive aggressive thing, which I hate, mm. but yet it was a natural part of the way I'd react. And I'm a lot better now. I'm rarely passive aggressive anymore, but it's something I had to work on because it was very easy for me to go into the victim mode. I haven't naturally tended towards the villain mode much myself, but I was when I was much younger. And I was yeah. actually, you know, when I was a teenager, I was like suicidal at a time because I hated myself and my life. Like the, the stereotype goes, that's what drove me into psychology and learning everything yeah. I could about the brain and the mind and whatnot. If you're a victim or a villain, it's okay. Because a lot of times people, because they go, oh yeah, I am like a villain. I am like a victim. And now they become the villain because they're a victim. And right. it's like the feeling meta bad, right? I'm not yeah. just feeling bad, I'm feeling bad that I'm not. <laughs> like give yourself a break and just be aware. Look, I'm behaving yeah. like a victim now. I'm behaving like a villain now. You are not a villain nor a victim. You're behaving like one. You're explaining or rationalizing like one. And once you recognize that, that becomes a superpower. Not quite yeah. as good as the resentment superpower, but nonetheless, it becomes a great superpower because it gives you what you need to be able to then make new choices or focus on what you can influence. Yeah, and I think that there's this central tenant of what you're saying that's such a common thing around here. Like, you are where you are when you're there. And it is your job to decide where you want to go from the place that you are where you are when you're there. Yeah. Just let's just figure out where we are so that we can shift. One of the things that I came across on your podcast that I had my brain, I was like only half listening because my brain was like doing its own thing as soon as you said something. And I was like, oh, I have to think about that. And then I was like, wait, most I have to listen. People, most people half listen when I talk anyway. So it's, it's totally good. <laughs> and so I want to talk about, because a lot of people that go through burnout and have this loss of cognitive function and are really struggling through brain fog and inability to get things going and you know, it's not the best time to work on mindset because it feels like you don't have your full like capability and capacity available to you. We work on mindset usually in my work more towards the end of things. And we still need to be shifting things slowly along the way so that by the time you get there, you're primed to make that change. So I listened to the episode on brain prompting, and I think everybody should go listen to the episode on brain prompting. That is related to chat GPT and prompting in the artificial intelligence world. I loved the idea of brain prompting so much because it felt to me like it created a better way to sort of separate the experiencer and the observer and to give yourself this opportunity to talk with yourself in a way that you might not have before. That's number one. And number two is people that are burnt out tend to be people pleasers and ignore their own needs. There's a lot of self-neglect in burnout because you, you've been ignoring signs and symptoms for a very long time. And when you're in a place of self-neglect, you don't know what you want or what you need. So giving people an exercise where they have to prompt their brains with something that they want or desire works because it helps them talk to their brains and it works because it helps them clarify what they want and what they're looking for. So this is like a double whammy to me. So can you tell people what the heck I'm talking about when I say brain prompting? 
Fried Fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. So the notion of brain prompting came because I became like many people obsessed with ChatGPT. So I started to use all this prompt and then I learned about prompt engineering and I did a few courses on ChatGPT and it's just so cool to, to, to play around with. And I realized the potential of it. And as I was realizing that it occurred to me that so often, one of the things that we tend to do is we have this kind of way of thinking about self-talk, like. You know, there's a lot of discussions people have about the way we speak to ourselves. And we talk about the inner critic and mm-hmm. loads of popularity about the inner critic, the inner critic. And it feels right because we have this voice inside our head, which attacks us, which tells us we're no good, which tells us we're stupid, which tells us this and that and the other. And we also then I realized, and this is something I've been sharing with people or teaching people for, for years. I don't know about other people. Maybe it's just that I'm weird, but we don't just have two voices. I mean, in my TEDx talk, I talked about the the two voices, the positive and negative, as you know, I did the sort of the rhyme and the rap and all that sort of stuff in it. But we have way more than that. We have a multitude of voices. We have voices when we're anxious. We have voices when we're tired. We have voices when we're bored. We have voices that are sarcastic voices. Most of the time when I beat myself up, I'm like, well, don't know. That was great. You're so smart. And again, it kind of doesn't hurt as much because I'm sort of, I'm listening to that kind of humorous voice. The reality is, is that with all of these different types of voices, it's always being this, you need to speak more positively to yourself. And when I did that, it didn't really work for me because mm. I'd say, you can do this or blah, blah, blah. And I'd be really positive. And then my negative voice would come back and just go, well, oh, that's crap. That's rubbish. You know, I don't believe that. And, and I go back and forth. And you know what it reminded me of and what it reminds me of now? I do a lot of teaching in corporations on consultative selling. And consultative selling is when you sell by asking questions and your job is to use the questions to get them on board, to build good relationships, to induce emotions in them, to get them thinking about the solution so that you're not trying to change their mind. You're getting them to change their own mind. And that's really how mind change works. It's not that we change minds, it's that we create the conditions whereby they change their own minds. And I began to realize that the opposite to that is selling. When you try to like drill in, These are the reasons why this and this and this. And a lot of people try to change their own way of thinking by coming up with all this by, again, there's nothing wrong with, you know, the mantras and the, you know, a million things that you say, but you're trying Mm. to sell it to yourself. And you've also got the bullshit detector. You've got the, what we call in psychology reactants, where we naturally react against, or if people want to call it confirmation or disconfirmation bias, where you, you know, look for evidence to prove you're right, or in disconfirmation, you look for evidence to defend your arguments and that they're wrong. And so with all of that, 
to me, that's the worst way to try to influence yourself. And therefore it doesn't work. But what does work is asking questions. What works is being able to guide them so that they reach their own conclusion. And to me, I was like, why can't we do that with our brain? If we can prompt ChatGPT and we can say, hey, I want to know what is this? And you can give your brain things to do or you ask your brain to do certain things, it will do it because you're directing it and questions direct focus. If I say to you, what is the greatest experience you've ever had in your life? As your brain goes to search for it, it's also going to affect the way you feel. So if you want to be able to start to make shifts in how you think and what you think, questions are the way to do it. And most of the ways people try to change mindsets, I mean, I get what you say in terms of mindset change, not being something that people feel ready to do. I'd argue that a big problem is the way people try to change their mindsets. Because Mm. what they do is they try to come up with all the evidence and they try to, and it's a big process and it's a big deal. Whereas to me, when you start asking yourself different questions, it's much softer, it's much easier. And it's almost like you're allowing yourself to start to move through your brain in a different way. And so I try to use questions. I try to help people to be more aware and conscious of their stories. And as a result, it helps them to shift. And it doesn't mean they turn around from believing in one thing to totally changing the next right. moment. But from a neurochemical perspective, or even from even from a neuroplasticity perspective in terms of what goes on in the brain, belief change doesn't happen when you, you know, overwhelm people with logic. It happens when you change the way people feel. And so to me, brain prompting is one of the best ways to do that. What I'm thinking of now is that this is sort of like self-coaching because the best coaches ask the best questions. Yeah. I mean, with coaching, the only difference would be with coaching, what you're trying to do is you're trying to lead people towards achieving their goals. So you're, you know, what do you want to achieve? What stops you? What resources do you have? Whereas with brain prompting, what you're, you're trying to do is you're trying to leverage it. Like with coaches, you're not always asking questions with the function of trying to create the kind of emotions, right? To prime them, for example. Sometimes you might, some great coaches might do that. This is my style. Yeah. So most of the time we're trying to lead them from where they are to where they want to be. Right. But there's so many other things that we can do with questions. Questions allow you to focus attention. Questions allow you to induce doubt. Questions allow you to create more conviction. Questions allow you to, okay, elicit information. Questions allow you to impact the way people feel. Questions allow you to stimulate imagination. Like there's so many things that we undervalue when it comes to questioning. And to me, the brain prompting idea is about figuring out, like if if we go to ChatGPT and we type in, you know, I want to know the difference between A and B. Well, that's us getting information from there. But there's a lot of information on our brain. And so if you go and you ask your brain question, your brain will go in and try to answer those questions. Whereas if you try to be positive to your brain, your brain will try to protect you. So with coaching, it, it there's a lot of similarities. But the difference is, I think in many ways, coaches are trying to help you to go from where you are to where you need to get to. Whereas brain prompting or consultative selling is you're trying to change the way the person's thinking and feeling, most importantly, feeling. Yeah. And, do, and by doing so, you give them the freedom to be able to shift the way they, they, they think and feel. If there was somebody burnt out in the room with, we're not in the same room, but if we were in the same room and there was somebody burnt out with us in the room right now. And they said, well, I'd love to brain prompt myself. 
what kind of questions can I start with? The reason I'm asking is because I want you to sort of dive into the specificity aspect that you talked about on the podcast. So first of all, with so many in the room, if I was working with them one-on-one, I probably already understand a little bit about what's going on for them in terms of what they feel. I'd be listening to the language they use and I'd be picking up on that language. So I'd be trying to explore with them exactly what's going on for them so that I can understand, look, this is what's happening. Like a a typical normal discovery sort of session of understanding exactly what's happening. The kind of questions I'd be trying to ask them would be, what is it that makes you feel centered and strong? What are the things in your life that give you the break that you so desperately need? What are the resources that you've had before that have helped you to bounce back. So I'm not looking necessarily for them to go down the rabbit hole of the the pain, which is something I might've done earlier than that, because I'm like eliciting information and trying to understand where they are and trying to connect with them and make sure that they feel like I understand them. But once I've done that, so it's not a case of, I will turn around to someone who's burned down and go, Hey, I'm going to ask you five questions. And by the end of the fifth question, you're not going to feel burned out anymore. Are you ready? (laughs) Yeah, great. It's more a case of like building a a connection with them, making people feel like you understand them because you do, having conversations with them, letting them understand that this is a process, guiding them and helping them be aware of resources like, for example, yourself, all that great work that you do. But then in terms of the questions that might be a little bit different to most would be looking for what are the resources they need and getting them to start to think about different things, getting them to start to focus in on where they need to go and what they need to get to. And then maybe also getting them to think differently about whatever challenges they're facing in terms of mentally, like helping them to shift the beliefs. Like I fundamentally believe that beliefs are one of the most important aspects and elements of changing anything. And I believe that a belief is not a fact, but it's also not just a thought. It's an idea you feel certain about. And so there's lots of researchers out there that talk about how beliefs oftentimes will happen unconsciously and whatnot. And once again, if you go too far down that rabbit hole, that becomes the victim of my beliefs. But you can do something about them. But we first of all need to recognize what is the belief I hold and then turn it into a story. What is the story I'm telling myself about myself in this situation? So they're the kind of things I'd also like to explore with them. So trying to prompt them to own the stories that they're telling so that by them owning that story, they can do one of two things. Number one, they can realize the story itself just isn't accurate. It's like you're telling yourself a story and you realize it's just not true. Or two, they can change the story. I know is when I was a kid, I used to have nightmares. And early enough on, I would wake up with a nightmare and I'd be like chased. And I intuitively, for whatever reason, I go back asleep and I'd imagine myself with superpowers and I imagine myself winning. In other words, I always finished my nightmares. And once I finished a nightmare, I never had it again. And so in many ways, it's an example of finishing the story. If you're telling yourself a story where you're suffering, then again, finish that story about you struggling and look for all of the things that will empower you and give you what you need. And and in many ways, belief change happens by changing the way people feel. Sometimes it happens with surprise. There's yeah. research out there that that suggests that when people have fundamental shifts in their beliefs, 
It's as a direct result of them being surprised. Surprise triggers the release of what we call phasic dopamine as opposed to tonic. And that big burst of dopamine creates more neuroplasticity, which in the brain means that when we're surprised with something powerful, that one thing, like sometimes, Kate, when you work with some, like I'll give you the example of the resentment factor. For a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, when they heard the notion of that resentment is your superpower, because that's such a surprising statement, the reason it has such a profound impact on so many people is because it creates instantly a surprise in terms of what we have in the brain prediction error. Our brain is constantly, as I'm sure you, you talk about, our brain constantly is trying to predict what's going on. And so when we have an error in our prediction, immediately our brain will release a massive amount of dopamine so that we can start to understand what's true. Our brain's trying to become more accurate as a prediction machine. And therefore, when you surprise someone with that, that's why it's such a profound impact on people. And so again, even though you might say we work with mindset towards the end, I'd actually argue you work with mindset and belief very early on, because as soon as you get them to change the way they think about resentment, that's, that's mindset shift. Yeah. And that becomes a, such a powerful way of looking at their circumstances and situations differently. And you, yeah. you balance it with, I understand you, I care with, we can, we can move through this. And, and that's, I think one of the main reasons why you're so successful. I think this idea of surprising someone into a shift is such a great way to think about mindset shifts. I know it's not the only way it happens, but it's a great way to think about it because the reason that I have avoided jumping on the sort of mindset bandwagon is because a lot of people that promote mindset work have done one neuro-linguistic programming course and think that they wrote 87 books. And and what happens is they come in and they say, well, if you just changed your mind about this, then you wouldn't be in this situation. Meanwhile, someone is being bullied, under-resourced, terribly treated, and like, like, no, you can't just decide that that situation is different than it is. So I want to play in that space a little bit because this is we're talking about being in a victim mindset a little bit, saying all of these things are happening from the outside. And we're saying it's possible to shift that, but it's not necessarily possible to influence the facts of what is actually happening. So yeah. I never wanted people to enter my space and feel like I was going to invalidate their experience by saying, well, if you, if you just changed your mind about it, it wouldn't bother you so much. So, what do you, so just, what's your response to that? So the response to that was, for, first of all, let me just qualify myself to talk about the exact example you gave. So with that in mind, I've written a bunch of books at NLP. I've written the books that I've written with on NLP I've co-written with the co-creator of NLP, Dr. Richard Bandler. NLP to me is one of the most powerful and phenomenal tools that you can use in helping people make changes in their life. And years ago, one of the books we wrote together, one of the things I said in one of the books was we talked, I was talking about heartbreak and I was also talking about grief. Mm. And when I talked about grief or heartbreak, maybe it was heartbreak, but I think I made the same point for grief. I said something along the lines of, the truth of the matter is, if somebody in your life dies or if your heart is broken and someone leaves you in a relationship, you can't just use an NLP technique and feel okay about it. 
If you use a technique of any nature, hypnosis, NLP, coaching, cognitive behavioral therapy, reality therapy, whatever it is, EMD or whatever it is, if you use a technique and it moves you from, oh my goodness, my life is ruined. I'm going to miss them so much. This is the worst thing ever to hey, great, plenty more fish in the sea. All's good. If you do a technique to do that, one of two things is true. Number one, you're either a sociopath or number two, you were never, you don't even like them. You're glad to be rid of them. Yeah. So again, when I said that in the book, I didn't put it quite like that, obviously. But when yeah. I said that, look, I had, I had some people in the field criticize me. Yeah. They said, that's a very limited belief, limiting belief, limiting the belief. Limiting belief doesn't, believe, doesn't mean that if you believe something is not possible, you're limiting. If I believe that jumping out of my apartment and I believe that I'm going to fly, well, that's a limiting belief. My belief I can do something could be more limiting than my belief right. that I can't. And that's why I don't say believe right. I say believe better. Better. Believe better means you're thinking about how useful it is. So with that in mind, taking the grief example or the heartbreak example and bringing it to the burnout example, a technique to change your mindset. All you need to do is this. As soon as people say all you need to do is, that a warning light goes off in my mind and I'm immediately calling bullshit on that. It's not all you need to do. And most of the time when I work with people, especially with something like NLP, it's such a great technology and attitude and methodology, but it's something that you practice as a skill that you use on a regular basis. Now, don't get me wrong. I've worked with people who have phobias and helped them change very quickly to the point that they went in with a phobia and they came out and they didn't have it. But more often than not, you're teaching people to learn to take control because you want them to be a hero. I also don't want people to come in to me, like when I was working as a therapist, to come in and go, you know, I came to Owen, my life was ruined, and then I left Owen and everything's perfect because then it's still no control for them. They're still not the hero. It's like the victim came and a guide felt sorry for them you know, twinkle their thumbs, click their fingers, and now the victim is no longer a victim. But until the next thing that goes wrong, whereas yeah. if the victim learns the skills to handle burnout, now all of a sudden the victim can stay a hero forever and they can handle the adversity that they face. This is why I do short-term coaching programs. My one-on-one -on -one coaching program is three months and three months only. And within those three months, we only do six calls. Because I am not here I don't want you to want me to hold your hand for a year. It might take you a year to get out of burnout, even if we work together. But when we finish, you will know what else you need. And that might be hiring another person. That might be working with NLP. That might be finding a massage therapist. It might be acupuncture. It might be therapy. It might be there's a million options. But my job, I feel like in my business, my job is to get you out of the pit get you out of the, the muck and put you back on solid ground and then say, look, you're on solid ground. You've got this. Give yeah. you a backpack full of goods and say, I believe in you. I trust you. I know you're going in the right direction. The reason why it's a process is because yeah. you don't just click your fingers and people are okay like that. You don't just do no. a tech and I go, okay, you're on your own. You're good. And, yeah. and that's, again, why what you do makes such a difference, Kate. It's because you work with people through a process whereby you help them get grounded, you help them accept where they are, understand what's going on, figure out exactly why it's happening so that they can feel more empowered to do something. But most importantly of all, you then equip them 
with the attitude, mindset, philosophy, way of thinking, the actions, the tools, the skills, what they need in order for them to move forward. And then, like you said, that they keep making progress and working on themselves more, but it's in that moment. And, and that's why I would argue that this nature of mindset shift, yeah. I believe happens when you first start working with people. In fact, when people listen to your podcast, you're already starting the process of shifting their beliefs and their mindset. And it is decidedly different from the just change how you feel about it camp, which really just gets under my skin. All right. I want to do one more thing before we wrap up, because there are people that just listened to the past 10 minutes and said, neurolinguistic what? What is the shortest version that you have of what NLP is? So neurolinguistic programming or NLP is a attitude, a methodology and a technology that allows us to be able to communicate more effectively with ourselves and with other people. So been around since the seventies, it's very effective in terms of helping us make changes. It's a lot of similarities with some of the aspects of cognitive behavioral therapy, if anyone knows about CBT, but it's extremely useful in terms of a lot of it from a perspective of helping us to make changes, whether it's changes in our belief, changes in our behavior, or else being more effective communicators or more influential and stuff like that. So NLP is out there. I've written a few books on it with Dr. Richard Bandler, who's absolute genius. And uh, I definitely recommend people check it out and check out and learn more about NLP if they're interested in improving the way they think and communicate. What might it look like for somebody to be like doing an NLP session? Well, first you've got to join the cult and uh, <laughs> give us your bank details and, you know, your, your rough IRAs. Now, when people do a session, it depends on who you work with. A lot of times yeah. it's coaches have got NLP qualifications and yeah, it's not exactly just like with psychologists, you are burnout coaches. You can't, you're going to get something different. Exactly. You can't guarantee that you're going to get someone. I like to. I like to know if people are familiar. If I talk to someone in NLP and they, they haven't heard of Richard Bandler, the co-creator, that's a warning sign. Not, not because yeah. they, they need to have whatever, but just because if they haven't heard of either of the co-creators, they haven't even read the book. You know, They haven't even yeah. read a book about it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's a media warning sign. So yeah. I kind of look at, at things like that, but also what a, what a session would look like would be they would be leveraging or using NLP in coaching. So they'd be ideally, it's very much solution oriented. So it's about helping them to identify what, what goals they have, what they want to achieve, what we call well-formed outcomes, and then providing them with resources in terms of how to create or trigger the right emotional state. So imagine you could capture a, the feeling that you want and you could trigger that for yourself whenever you need to. And challenging the inner dialogue that they have, the way they talk to themselves, their limiting beliefs and whatnot, using certain questions that are able to get them to realize, you know, well, who says that? Or how do you know that's true? Or is that true in all cases? And getting them to realize, well, actually, the way in which I'm thinking is not as useful. So that's just to give you a sort of a, a general sense. Yeah. Typically, what I do is I combine it. So when the work I do in terms of delivering trainings, in terms of keynotes, in terms of even executive coaching, all the work I do is focused around belief change, influence, all of that area is my, my specialty. And so NLP is one of the tools that I use. I also take from cognitive behavioral therapy. I take from street epistemology, deep canvassing. I take from a lot of the work in the science of story and how story goes in. 
the model that I use is what, what I know, what I call the scale framework, which is stories, community or culture, actions or habits, logical reasoning, emotional reasoning, and driver desire. And those are the six elements of helping people to change their beliefs about themselves and whatnot. So I try to bring in a lot of different tools from a lot of neuroscience, as you'll know, to try to figure out how do I help people to change the way they feel about their life by changing their beliefs about what's going on, by telling themselves new stories. And so NLP is one of the tools which is very helpful in in that endeavor. One of my favorite things about this conversation is that we just gifted, or you rather, just gifted an incredible amount of new ideas of ways to get help. And I think that that's an incredibly empowering thing because a lot of times people that come to burnout have done a lot of like self-help type things. And they say, well, I've done everything. I've done all the things. And that's not usually true. So I'm really glad to have this little bit of extra space to say, hey, listen, there's this, there's that, there's this, think about this. There's all these options out there that might break through some of the barriers that you've seen or met in the past and you, they're breakthroughable. And that matters. I mean, for me, I, I love this conversation just because it's great talking about these things with, with someone like you and exploring these ideas together, because obviously in the work that you do, you really have a, a massive amount of expertise with regards to helping people deal with something as traumatic as burnout. And we all have experienced it in our own little way. I mean, I was joking about like burning out every single week, but I think we all have the experience of knowing what it's like to feel those three conditions that, I mean, we've talked about before and having the, the fact that it's influencing the way in which we are with our loved ones. It's influencing the way in which we are with ourselves and it can be debilitating for many people. So your podcast and the work that you do, I know makes a big difference. So I'm just, I am genuinely happy to just have got the chance to have a laugh, but also to talk. I think we cover some deep stuff. So I'm hoping that I think so too. anyone out there who who is struggling might have something that could be useful for them to continue to be the hero in their own lives. And you know what I'm going to ask you for next, Fried Family. I want to know what hit your heart in this episode. What resonated? What are you taking home? What's sitting with you? What questions do you have? All of those things, all of those questions and responses you can throw in the Facebook group with 1,800 of your closest friends. They will be waiting for you. I can't wait to see and hear what you think and what you feel and how it shifted. Owen, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks to me and Kate. If anyone does want to reach out, I'm Owen, OwenFitzpatrick.com is my website. I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn. I've got my podcast, Changing Mind. So if you if you want to reach out at any point, please do and check it out and take care. Thanks a million, Kate. Thanks a million to the Fried family. May the force be with you all. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon. I usually wrap up with all of your things and ask you where to find your stuff. And I just didn't this time. So that's okay. I caught it. It's fine. It's, it's totally fine. You don't want people to ever see me again. I get it. I get it. No, it's been a pleasure. Okay? I loved it and really enjoyed it. And uh, I think what you're doing is terrific. So thanks. thanks. Thank you, everybody. See you next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. 
Got each other on our side Plus all the folks at Fried The Burnout Podcast With Kate Donovan